All right, so we are in our series right now called The Word Made Flesh, and we're talking about the nature of who Jesus is. And uh, in the process of doing so, we have talked about the fact that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being. There's nothing or no one that looks more like the Father in heaven than Jesus, because he is co-equal with God the Father and with the Son. Today, we're looking at something that John uh, so beautifully illustrates for us, and that is the trustworthiness of Jesus and of God and their character. So let's talk a little bit about John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read it, and then we'll walk back through, and we'll go verse by verse as we walk through it all. John 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. All right, let's take a look at this. Verse nine, let's start with this idea uh, that this true light idea. Let me give you a little background information real quick. Sorry, my voice is still a little bit, I'm, I'm a lot better than I was last week, guys, so thanks for the prayers, but still a little bit hoarse. All right, so at the beginning of John writing what he's about to write, he's writing about a circumstance 2,000 years ago that is very similar spiritually to where we are today. And so he lived in a world that was primarily polytheistic, meaning they worshiped multiple gods. And not only did people worship multiple gods, but they had national gods. Like, for example, the Canaanites served a god named Dagon, right? And so each nation had their own patriotic god that they would worship. But not only did they worship the gods of their nations, they also worshiped their household gods. So when somebody was going to move from one place to the next place, they would pick up their gods, they would carry them with them, and wherever they established their home in the next place, they would build an altar to their gods. Now we think that's just crazy Old Testament, early New Testament stuff. That stuff doesn't happen at all anymore. So one day, I am walking around my neighborhood. (laughs) <laughs> and I live in Maitland. And uh, as I'm walking around, I've lived in the same house for 21 years. And as I'm walking around my neighborhood, I see that one of my neighbors has a bunch of cars. And I'm like, oh, he's having a party. It's fantastic. And so I'm walking by and their window shades are wide open. And, you know, I look over and uh, not as a peeping Tom, but just, you know, as, as somebody who's walking past the house. And I look over and, uh, and I see in that moment that there is this woman who I know from my neighborhood, and she uh, is holding two bowls of fire, right? Two, like, bowls of fire, just bowls of fire, right? And, uh, and there are, like, a ton of people, like, just, you know, maybe 10, 12 people around her prostate, right like, like this. There she is. They were prostrate right before her. And, and I was just like, what in the Sam heck is going on right now, right? And so a couple days later, I saw her husband out, and I said, hey, uh, I don't mention his name. So-and-so, Steve, let's call him Steve. It's not Steve. Um, hey, Steve, uh, I just happened to be walking by your house the other day and uh, saw so-and-so and, uh, and she had fire. And what was that all about? And he goes, well, come on in. And so he said, well, they were doing yoga and there was just some kind of like spiritual thing in the yoga practice. And that was kind of what was going on. And I was like, okay, cool. That's kind of weird. But what, everyone knows I'm a pastor in the neighborhood, right? And uh, there was this thing over in the corner of their, their family room. And it looked like about the size of a piano. And it had a big, huge, like, uh, like almost like a big 
curtain over it or some kind of cloth covering the whole thing. And I said, what was that? And he goes, uh, he, goes he could tell he wasn't kind of into it, but his wife was. He goes, he goes, you probably wouldn't like that. I go, what is it? And he goes, it's, it's a household god. I was like, man, this is Maitland, man. This is Maitland. Like, like we got household gods right now? Okay, and we just talked. I, don't, I was cool with him. Like, I didn't, like, you know, start, you know, condemning him or anything like that. We just had a conversation. But this is not a thing that is unfamiliar to history. And clearly, it's not a thing that's unfamiliar to Maitland. You know it's happening in Winter Park. You know it's happening in Winter Park, right? I mean, 100%, right? But John is writing in the background that there is a pluralistic society of people who have their own gods and national gods that follow them. So when John writes, he writes, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. How radical John's words were in that day, as they would be today, is to say, I wanna show you not just a light, because we have many lights in our world today. There are psychologists who are lights, there are counselors, there are pastors, there are authors, there are politicians, there, there are all kinds of people claiming, let me show you the path of goodness and the life that is important. And John comes in, he goes, no, no, I want to show you the true light. And this word true right here means the one that represents the most accurate picture, right? So he's saying, I want you to see the most accurate picture of what true light is. And light in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament There are these images of light and darkness, and it seems like that makes sense right away, right? Light is goodness and purity and wholeness, and darkness is wickedness and terror, right? And so he says, listen, I'm going to show you the true light. I want want to show you the truth and the goodness of God, and that light, that true light, that gives light to everyone. Now, this was also something that was kind of strange for people listening to John, because again, they worshiped household gods that they chose themselves but they worshiped national gods that were thrust upon them for the most part, right? It was a means of control. And so in this situation, John says, listen, I'm gonna tell you that there is but one God who is the truest, most accurate representation of God. He's talking about Jesus, the true light Jesus that gives light to everyone. And he offers that light that he has to every single person who simply would receive it and believe it, to receive it and believe it. And guys, that's no different today than it was 2000 years ago there are many options for you to follow the light. You can follow the light of materialism. And for a while, materialism's awesome. Get to drive great cars and have a fancy house. And then once you get it, because I've known guy after guy, woman after woman, who's gotten it, they arrived at the American dream and they realized, oh my goodness, this is not actually what I was looking for. And one of the things that's true about that is you can follow any light, but other than the light that John gives to us now, Jesus every other light that you invest your life in will eventually betray you. Why? Because our goal, like when we're looking for a light, what our goal is, is to find something that will make us secure and something that will make us whole. And only God, the true light Jesus, can give light to everyone who wants it, who will receive it and believe it, has come into the world. It was a proclamation that all the other beliefs and all the other gods and all of the other things were not the true light. In fact, he goes on to say, Jesus is the most real and true light for everyone. But he doesn't say that that, that Jesus and God keep that light just for themselves. Matthew 5, 16 picks up this same kind of thinking. In verse 16, it says this, in the same way, let your light, he's talking about you, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So let me talk about this for a second. Why, like this whole concept of light. The concept behind it is this. 
you and I, this is what the Bible's taught us from beginning to end, you and I are created in the image of God. If you go back in history and you look at many of the ancient religions, the idea of a person being created was kind of as a plaything. Many of the Greek gods saw us as playthings, as tools, as things that they would get angry at and punish and things that they would uh, have fun with and, and hurt. And they were like petulant children with omnipotence. But then he comes in here and he says, listen, uh, you're created in a different way. You are created in the imago Dei, in the image of God. You are created to be God-like in life. Not to be God, not to be God. There's a creature-creator distinction here but we were created to be like God, the true light from heaven. And Matthew picks this this thought process up and says this, in the same way, (coughs) let the light from God, your light shine before others. Why? Because they're watching your good deeds. They're watching your life. They're, They're looking at you and they're thinking, is there anything unique about your faith that I may want or need? Because I'm looking too. I'm looking for lights. And I know I did that even before I was religious. I didn't know I was doing that. And some of you in the room are doing that right now. You're like playing around with your sexuality, trying to figure out, is this the light? You're looking at money going, is this the light? You're playing with relationships and going, is she the light? Is he the light? And ultimately what happens is when you place all of your weight of expectations on that other person or that circumstance, it crushes that relationship or that circumstance because there was only one light, that light that came from the father who is perfect, who was able to bear up your expectations. In the same way, let your light shine because people are watching you, watch this, that they may see your good deeds. So hiding your good deeds is no good. Man, the Bible doesn't say you should just do something nice anonymously all the time. Sometimes your deeds are done in the, in the, in the presence of other people. And when they see that, they will glorify your father in heaven. Now I have had conversations for the whole time I've been in ministry with people. And it's almost like they have this... You know, not all pride is bad. There are certain prides that are okay. Like you can take pride in, the, in, in things that you've done well. You know, Paul says, if I'm gonna boast, I'm gonna boast about the things of Christ, right? The way that God is working in me. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. So there are people who come to me every once in a while and they'll say, you know what? Because of my relationship with Jesus, man, I, I, uh, I, I am known in business in Orlando as an ethical person. People know that I'm not gonna take the shortcut and hurt them People know that I'm not going to be divisive or wrong in my business practices. And that's great. That is exactly how we as Christians are supposed to be. It is really like dissonant, really strange when you see a Christian who is immoral in business practice. And so people are like, this is good. And I'm like, that's fantastic. And it's interesting because the next thing that comes out is weirdly confident, but, but, but very strange. And they'll always say something like, and no one even knows that I do it for Jesus. And I think about that and I'm just like, no, no, no. You and I were created in the image of God. Watch this. That's why we're not supposed to be more ourselves. We're supposed to be more like him. And when he gives us that light, that light then is used to glorify him. You see, if you're awesome in business and no one knows you do it because you're a follower of Jesus, then what happens is you get the praise. They look at you and they go, you're awesome. You are, I get that all the time here at the church. Someone comes up and goes, your message is so awesome, you're so great. And in my mind, I remember something that someone told me a long time ago. It's been one of the best things someone has ever tutored me on. Mike, 
when you get praise from someone, you changed my life, you did this great thing. Don't believe the hype. And when somebody comes and they come to destroy you with their words, don't believe the criticism. So helpful, guys, so helpful. You are not everything everyone thinks you are and you're not as bad as other people think you are, right? But our job is not to pour glory on ourselves. Our job is to give that light back to him in the form of glory. I want people to know that the reason why I'm kind to lost people is because I want them to know Jesus, not because I'm a kind person. Like our job is to point people back to Jesus. Look, if you follow someone and all they do is point to themselves, you're following the wrong person. Our job as Christians is to say, yes, God's doing great things in my life, but it's God who does these great things in my life. And as I surrender, as I receive him and I believe him, that's what happens. And guys, I'll tell you right now, there is nothing better to invest your life in. And here's why. 1 John 1, 5 says it like this. This is the message that we have heard from God. And we declare to you, God is light and in him, there is no darkness. Now he doesn't just say, watch this. He doesn't say there's no darkness and stop with a period here. He says there's no darkness at all. Like there's just none. And the reason why that's important for you is because we are unlike God in this way. We have light. God has given to us the image of, 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 of himself inside and we can operate out of that and we can reflect the glory and the goodness of God. And man is capable of extraordinary things because we are God-like. But when it talks about the fact that God himself has no darkness in him, it's describing a holiness that we do not possess. In fact, the Bible describes the internal state of followers of Jesus. And this is what it says. There is the spirit in us and there is the flesh in us. And these two things are warring against one another. The spirit warns, wars against the things of the flesh. The flesh wars against the things of the spirit, right? And so even though God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, that's why we don't lean on ourselves. This is so, tune into this, so important, ready? This is why we don't lean on ourselves for hope with phrases like this that you see all over Instagram by Christians. I am enough. No, 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 no. You're not enough and it's okay because he's enough. Let me just, like, that's so important for you to get. Why? Because if you believe you're enough, that means you don't need anything else or anyone else. You are self-sufficient. And the problem with that is that you will come to the end of your strength and you will be destroyed. Do not believe things that are destructive, but he has no end. He is magnificent and glorious and holy without end, without beginning. God is light and there is no darkness in him whatsoever. It means he's not like the Greek gods. He will not wake up and decide, I'm gonna play with you today. I'm gonna hurt you today. I'm gonna destroy you today. No, no. God himself says that I will walk with you. I will be your God if you will be my people. Then I will never destroy you. That doesn't mean you're not gonna hurt. Doesn't mean you're not gonna go through hard times. That's not a religious question. It's the human condition of living in a broken world with a broken heart. And, this, and some of you go, this is why I don't like it, man. This is why I don't like about church. You're calling me a sinner. You're, you're saying there's like stuff broken on the inside of me. What I'm saying is this, is that there is a spiritual sickness inside of all of humanity, including the guy on the stage. 
this spiritual sickness manifests itself in all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different people, right? And sometimes we give into it and sometimes we push back against it. We discipline ourselves and we war against it. All that kind of stuff's happening right now. But you go, well, this is what I don't like about Christianity. I don't want to be called a sinner. You just think people are calling you names. We're not. We're not calling you names. We're describing the condition in which you find yourself. Because I'm telling you right now, because I was there where you are. I was not a Christian, did not grow up in the Christian background. Here's what I could never figure out. Why can't I do, let's take God out of the equation. Why can't I do what I want to do consistently? Go to the gym in January. It's crowded, hugely crowded, right? Go to the gym in March. Why? Because everyone's looking at an Instagram model and going, I'm going to be like her. You know, I'm going to be like him. And January, we go, this is the time. The calendar switched. This is my moment. And you get in there, you discipline, discipline. But here's what, here's, what, here's what goes wrong. Your will, your emotions, and your thoughts, all of us, are broken. They have a spiritual disease. And sometimes you can will things and do the right thing, but none of us can will the right thing all the time. And so we break. And we get discouraged with ourselves. And we go, I'm always going to be this failure, and I'm going to be messed up. But listen, if you understand that you have a spiritual sickness, you don't walk around thinking, I'm a failure, I'm a screw-up. You realize that when you fail, you can get right back up again and start the path again. You don't have to constantly walk in shame. There's no other reason why you can't be the person that you are other than you're sin-sick. You go, well, I'm not disciplined. You're not disciplined because you're sin-sick. And when you go to the doctor, and the doctor looks at you, and he says, hey, you have cancer right here. And you look at yourself and you go, I'm awesome. What are you talking about? Like, I look good. I'm physically good. I don't feel like I have cancer. And you can't see it sometimes on the outside. But when the doctor says you have this cancer, you don't ignore it because if you ignore it, eventually you won't feel great and eventually it will kill you. That's what sin is like. And so what we do is we receive and then we believe and we trust God that he's going to change us because there is no darkness in him, none. He is trustworthy. He is completely trustworthy. But we're not because we have sin sickness inside of us. 1 John 1, 6 says it like this. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. Now, now look at the, well, the, this is describing something different than what we were just talking about. What we were just talking about was the struggle back and forth that you and I have with consistency and maintaining spiritual disciplines in our life. We just, it's hard, it's impossible because we're sin sick. This is different though. And, and you'll, still, you'll see people like this. You'll, you know people like this. These are people not wrestling and in the, in the battle. These are people right here who have given themselves over to a path. If we claim to be, have fellowship with him, the word fellowship here just means relationships. Bible's word for relationship, right? If we claim to have a relationship with him, him, God, and yet we walk in darkness, this, this whole sentence, right, or this whole structure right here, walk in darkness, walk in the darkness, it means that you've committed yourself to a path of sinfulness. So you're not wrestling. Like somewhere along the way, you decided, I'm just going to become this person. You decided, I'm going to quit the wrestling around and I'm just going to become this person. And you gave up trying to become like God. But you can't really give up trying to become like God because you were made in his image. And so there's always this part of you that's pulling you back going, why am I, why am I, why am I making the choices that I'm making right now? Why do I feel so bad the next day all of the time? Well, it's because God designed you not to be the person that you're being, but to design you to be like him. Thomas Merton was this like uh, 
let's old mystic Catholic in the 60s. I don't agree with everything that Thomas wrote, but he did write this one sentence that I remember thinking how brilliant it was, was an idea. And he, he said this, he said, a tree gives glory to God by simply being a tree. And here's what he meant by that. Because the tree has no will of its own, it just is exactly what God wants it to be at every stage of its life. It's, it's, it's born at a time, it lives for a season, it grows to be the exact size God wants it to be, and then it dies in exactly the right time that God wants it to be. Its whole life has given glory to God because it's been exactly what God wants it to be. But humanity is so different than that because we have the choice to not be like God. And because we have the choice to not be like God, we don't always please him because we choose to walk in darkness. And when we walk in darkness, what we're doing is we're really just actually living a lie. Do you know the reason why sometimes like you make wicked choices and then on the other side you feel bad about it? It's because internally your body even tells you you're lying. This isn't who you are. This isn't what you're supposed to be. God made you for something different. And we do not live out the truth. And so our job essentially is to remember that we are more than we think we are. The deal of sin is not to make you feel bad and terrible and down and, 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 and humiliated. It is a diagnosis. I don't walk out of the doctor when the doctor says, you blew out your kneecap and think, what a terrible person I am. I walk out going, how do we fix it? How can we figure this out? And that's the next step. <clears throat> John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. I use this during the communion service all the time to remind us each week that when we ask for forgiveness, God is readily available for us. Uh, John 1.9 again and 10 and 11. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is a true light. It's the only real accurate light. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So let's take a look at this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. We said that in, as the scripture describes the creation of the world in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is the operational power behind that. It's not that God the Father just created the world. It's actually that Jesus was present at the creation of the world. And that, that's what this means, though the world was made through him. He was the operational power in the creation of the world because he lived before he was born into this world 2,000 years ago. He was with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But look at this. Even though he did all this creation, all he created you, me, he set everything in motion for us, the world did not recognize him. In other words, the world, we don't see him for who he is. And a lot of us in the room, we know exactly what that feels like because we've always felt that we've not been seen. Because for some of us, we're in big crowds and we always feel like we're the outsider. We feel like we're not the insider. We've always felt like the, this is, Jesus understands this. I'm gonna tell you a story in a minute, which is one of three times in the whole Bible that Jesus actually cries. He came to that which was his own, which was his own, the Jewish people. He's like, I, all through the Old Testament, I was leading you and guiding you and watching over you and teaching you and showing you little glimpses and prophecies of the fact that I'm gonna come one day. And I came and you didn't even see me. You didn't even recognize me. You didn't know that I was yours and you are mine, which was his own, but his own did not recognize him or did not receive him. And I know that that's exactly one of the most painful circumstances, the counselor part of me right here. This is one of the worst traumas that people go through in their life. You may not have the same kind of like background that I had when I grew up and was beaten by my father, but you have your own version of that in your life. And one of the hardest things is that 
those who were supposed to receive us, supposed to be family to us, supposed to love us, supposed to care for us, supposed to death do us part, didn't. And he walked away. She walked away. And as a result, we feel exactly like Jesus felt. In this moment, he's going to, that I'm going to show you in just a second, he's just going to peer out over Jerusalem. And as he looks out at Jerusalem, all through the Old Testament, prophet after prophet after prophet were expelled from Jerusalem because they didn't want to follow God. And God's like, I just made you, man. I made you to be like me. Be like me. And he sent prophet after prophet, priest after priest, person after person saying, come back to me, come back to me. All you have to do is receive me. All you have to do is believe me. All you have to do is receive me. All you have to do is believe me. If you receive me and believe me, it's all going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. One day they'll be, have a home. This sin sickness will be gone from you. You never have to deal with it again. There'll be an eternity where you and I live forever together. And over and over and over again, thousands of years, the people of God in the Old Testament rejected him over and over and over again. I feel like, like in my own life, like my father and my mother were those people that I expected to, to watch over me and protect me when I was young. And they didn't. Because they didn't, they didn't recognize who I was. I was son. And they just saw me as another. The father sends the son into the world. And he's like, this is my son. And we just said, he's just another. He's just another. One among many. Luke chapter 19, verse 37. When he, Jesus, came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, this is the road leading up to Jerusalem, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Jesus has groupies at this point in time right now. He does. He's got people who are following him around because he's done some incredibly public miracles. They have watched his good deeds. And Jesus has turned them back and said, I only do what, the, what my father desires. He has blessed the father. So now people are looking at Jesus and they recognize who he is, that he's, that he's the father. There's always some. There's always some in the room. There's always some around the city. There's always some who recognize who Jesus is. And they began to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one that we've been waiting for, for all of the Old Testament. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest to him, to us, because he is here. <coughs> but then there are others, and the Pharisees are going to make an entrance in the next verse. And the Pharisees are the Supreme Court of the Old Testament. They are the religious scholars of the day. Their whole job is to understand the Torah, to understand the Old Testament. And their whole job is to think about when is the Messiah going to come? And they've looked at prophecy after prophecy. These guys know the Bible more than we will ever, ever know it. And yet one of them walking with Jesus, seeing miracle after miracle performed, says this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Hey man, you can't have them saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You can't have them saying peace in heaven and glory to the highest. That's God and it belongs to God alone. So you need to tell your disciples, be quiet. They're sinning. There is but one God and you are not him. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, listen, even if I said this to them, if I told them to be quiet, to keep quiet, the stones would cry out. The very earth itself knows that I am the Lord. And it would cry out itself. And as he approached Jerusalem, he looks out, he sees the Pharisees with him. He looks out at all the people of Jerusalem, just, just, and he begins to weep. Because those who were supposed to receive him as family 
did not. And he's done everything that he could. And not only has he done it, but in the next subsequent week, he's going to lay his life down for those people. Verse 42, uh, and he says this, if you, even you, even you Pharisees, even you Jewish people, even you Christians in Orlando right now, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. What a word for us today. Seriously. I mean, do you know what really brings you peace? Is it a fancy house? Awesome schools? Right job? Good-looking husband, hot wife? Like, what is it, really? I think what he's saying here is, if you just knew that all these things, these lights that you've been focused on, They don't bring you peace. So now, because they haven't brought you peace, peace and truth and goodness is hidden from your eyes. And he gives these a prophecy here in verses 43 and 44. This prophecy that he's about to talk about right now, there's some hard words for the people that have looked past Jesus and didn't recognize him. And this is an actual prophecy that he's gonna talk about. It's gonna happen 30 years from the time that Jesus is talking about it. In 70 AD, in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed by a Roman general named Titus, who's gonna come in and he's gonna surround the temple. And many of the people inside the temple will be slaughtered. And Jesus isn't saying like, I'm doing this because I wanna destroy you. He's saying, this is going to happen because of the consequence of not recognizing who I am. In very much the same way, a temple can be destroyed, a family can be destroyed when we don't realize who God is for our family. A business can be destroyed when we don't realize who God is for our business. A church can be destroyed when we don't realize who God is for our church. And he says these words, hard words. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And as Titus came around, it's a documented thing in history. As Titus came around the temple, all of them gathered around. They came in destroying. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. For 2,000 years, those stones have been broken. 2,000 years. It's not the end of the story, though, because that's not the story for all of us. There is the other side. John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who did recognize him for who he is, to those who said, yes, I will receive you and I will believe you. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to those who receive him and believe, who receive and believe, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right <coughs> to go to heaven? No. To become uh, people who are walking on a path that they have to perform for God? No. They actually became children of God. How ironic it is that we missed the son of God and God turns back around and makes us sons and daughters. When we receive and believe, you are a child of God. You are like God. Children born, not of natural descent. So this right here precludes the fact that anybody born in any kind of ethnicity, because this was speaking specifically to Jewish people who believed that they were born Jewish and therefore would be heaven bound. He says, just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you grew up in a Christian family doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Nor of human decision. It's not just my will, but it's also God's will. Not a husband's choice, but born of God. That we are born of God. See, when we receive and we believe, and that's not something that you just receive and believe when you become a Christian, their first step. 
if you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, you still have to receive what he has for you. You still have to see him for who he is. You still have to trust him with the next step of faith. We are never, ever done until we see Jesus face to face. And here's how the whole thing ends. John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. The whole world has an opportunity. Every single person. And if you're in the room right now and you're thinking, or you're online right now, and you're thinking, I don't know what my next step is. Like, I don't know how to take my first step toward Jesus. Take a step of trust. Begin inviting him into your heart, inviting him into your life, inviting him into your story. So when you have a next decision to make, consider what would God want me to do in this situation? When you're struggling with your wife, ask him, God, what would you have me do with her? In our marriage, there's always three of us. There's me, there's her, and there's the father. And when I go to him first, before I go to her, it's always better, always better. When Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. This is God's promise to you. You will not end broken. You will not end sin sick. You will not end destroyed. You will find victory. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge right now that we do have that battle inside of us, that all of us have fallen short. And we recognize, God, that we don't always make the right, the wise choices or the right decisions. And so thank you that you forgive us even in the middle of all of that. Thank you that it's not on our performance, but on who we know that we'll make our way to you. And Father, for those who are taking first steps even now, I pray that you'd open their hearts and their minds that their desire would be for you. Because honestly, you are the only true light and there's no darkness at all within you. That's the only thing that we can trust. You, Father, are the only one we can trust. Thank you for sending Jesus to give us that light so we can spread it to others. It's in your name we pray, amen.